and miss the World Series? Not a chance. I'm still here, Chief. The Benz. That sky, though? Incredible. It's Frequency. Welcome to the Center Cut. I am Michael. And I am Dave. And today we have a special guest, fellow podcast host, very funny comedian, stepdad, and at Nick D's comedy on Instagram and Twitter. It is Nick D's. Nick, thank you for being here. Hey, thank you guys for having me, man. I really appreciate you guys having me on for sure. One thing before we dive in, my friend, if you ever talk shit about CeCe's Pizza again, <laughs> I will break your glasses through the screen. All you can eat pizza, that's like five of my top 25 favorite words. You're so cheap. CeCe's Pizza is great. I have a love-hate relationship with CeCe's. I love to go there, but I hate myself afterwards. That's like literally it. That's all it is. That's true of everything I love, though. Like almost every single thing I love, I hate myself after doing it. I guess that says a lot about me. But Nick, what should people know about you? Yeah, I'm a stand-up comic. I've been working on trying to uh, get some stuff put together, more content to put out. And I'm excited, man. Now that the pandemic and stuff is starting to lift, it's been a little bit easier to get on stage. So uh, yeah, man, I, I really dig it. Stepdad, like you said, I, I guess I, w I was an only child until my, my mom got uh, remarried. So now I have three black stepsisters and a black stepbrother, which is sick. So yeah, so now I'm like the white sheep of the family, which is pretty killer. But yeah, that's, yeah, you know. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that that's all there really is to me. I, I like CC's, but I talk shit. I like McDonald's, <laughs> but I talk shit. So like mostly I just talk shit about the things that make me feel good about myself. There's nothing wrong with that. And real quick, Nick, I mentioned at the top that you are a fellow podcaster. I have a podcast that I normally do. I kind of took a break from it for a little bit just because I've been trying to... uh like focus on like family stuff and whatnot. But that's comedy buildups and breakdowns. That's like a podcast where I have like another comic on and we talk about like stand up, like what got them into comedy, like the highs and lows and like cool stories and stuff. I've like been lucky to have like a fairly decent amount of good dudes on there that are working comics that have been doing stuff for a while. But other than that, I do uh, a podcast called Broken Boys with my buddy Addison. He and I just basically just talk about how shitty our childhoods were. And then like end up talking movies and food, which is like pretty <laughs> standard. And then I have a couple other things. I do this thing called Help Wanted, which is like a video thing on YouTube with my buddy Carlton K, where we basically have just been checking up on like other comics during the pandemic, seeing how everyone's doing. There's uh, another thing like I started not too long ago with a buddy of mine called Rot Your Brain. And that's like just me and him talking about comic books, my buddy Rashid Wesley. But yeah. That's a lot. Yeah. That is a lot. You have a lot going on. Man of many hats. Yeah, many hats. Thank you for, for taking some time to do this. Now, a couple quick things. Number one, we're recording today on Dave's birthday. So happy birthday, Dave. Hell yeah. Happy birthday, man. Yeah. One year older. Moving on to more important things. Thanks for that time <laughs> to speak. I appreciate <laughs> it. Nick, why Frequency? It's a gem. One, it's a like dope Dennis Quaid movie. And I feel like Nobody knows about that movie at all. I definitely think it's like a, a random like hidden gem in movies that came out like in the early 2000s. 
And it was like one of those movies that I was just like, dude, you, you got to check it out. So yeah, that was like kind of why I picked it. I had never heard of it either. And uh, we'll obviously we'll talk about it as we go, but it is interesting. Yeah. Funny fact about the movie in the beginning of the movie. I know you guys are going to talk about like the first 15 minutes of the movie. But one thing that I guarantee neither of you guys noticed, young Michael Sarah is in the beginning, like within the first couple minutes of the movie. Oh, I noticed. Yeah, like a, a young Michael Sarah. Oh, I noticed Gordy Jr. <laughs> Don't you worry. Hell yeah, dude. This movie has everything. A young Michael Sarah. It's got, it's got everything. It's his first role. So, Dave, what are we doing exactly today? Yeah, so we watched the first 15 minutes and the last 15 minutes of Frequency. And we are going to recap those ends for you. And then Nick has some questions for us, along with some listener submitted questions that we'll be answering to see how well we can figure out what the middle was about. Hell yeah. Yes, that is true. Now, Frequency dropped in 2000. It was directed by some dude named Gregory Hoblet. And cursory research proved that he was indeed a real person. Now, this movie starred Dennis Quaid, Jim Caviezel, and Sean Doyle. Now, David... Sean Doyle provides us with a double lost reference. A double lost reference? A double lost reference. I'll explain. He stars in one season four episode as Kate's lawyer, and his character in this movie is named Jack Shepard, which is my second favorite oh, lost character and my spirit animal. I hated all of that. You already know, David, I am into this. Nick, you don't know, but I am a huge Lost fan, and I will connect everything that we ever do to Lost. I've never seen a single episode of Lost. Neither have I. I don't plan on it. You're wrong. Your life is wrong. Anyway, <laughs> this thing, frequency, dials in at a 70 on Rotten Tomatoes. Hell yeah. Oh, man. One too many points. David, let's get into the recap. Oh, yeah. Let's recap this sucker. We're inside the sun. It's crazy. It's also very hot. The camera pans over to Earth, and as it's kind of zooming into Earth, we just are hearing a bunch of different radio sounds, different radio frequencies, different radio stations, all kinds of weird radio-y stuff. The final radio station it kind of lands on is talking about a dead woman who was found in a dumpster. She is one of many women who are apparently found dead. They are referred to as the Nightingale Murders. More on that later. Well, we zoom in on the highway now we are on earth and we are in a tractor trailer truck pulling a large tanker full of gasoline on his way down the highway did they have to make this trucker look like a drug-addled lunatic who's on his way to fuck a little boy he met on an internet forum for yo-yo enthusiasts <laughs> jesus what is wrong with this guy i mean i think you listed it all all the things <laughs> I don't know why you hated the truck driver so much. It wasn't that bad. Yeah, that's a very bold stand to take against the truck driver. His face. <laughs> was in the movie for like two seconds. He really is. He's like the least important character in the whole movie. Your big takeaway is be like, he looks like he's out to do some bad. <laughs> so <laughs> we're on the truck. We are headed down an exit and another truck carrying some pipes or some shit falls apart and the pipes go flying across the road. The trucker narrowly misses all of this construction equipment, but in his harsh movement, he has kind of turned over his truck. It's sliding down the road, slides right over a manhole that looks like there was some construction down in the sewers. So some guys were about to be coming out and got forced back down in and it slams into another truck and comes to a stop in the middle of the road. Wowzers. Mm -hmm. So someone had to call in Dennis Quaid. He's a member of the fire department of New York. 
and we see a bunch of sweet 90s montage of old old timey fire trucks. This is where it kind of becomes apparently clear that this part of the movie is not set in current times. Really? I didn't get that. Like, I was confused that this took place in the 60s. That was an old ass fire truck. No. Yeah. I am going to pause it that there was no timestamp on this. Now, this was pre getting the timestamp of October 1969. Correct. I bet that this scene is another timeline. It's an alternate universe where he doesn't die in the fire. Ooh. No. You're fucking ridiculous. What do you mean? No. What do you mean? You're ridiculous. I'm just saying there's no timestamp on it. That, tr- that was like a 70s fire truck. My dad was a firefighter. Yeah, I do agree. It was definitely not a current day fire truck. I know these things. Well, we're in 1969. Perfect year. Okay, it was not a 90s fire truck. So I knew that we were in the past before the timestamp. Could have been in the 80s. Could have been in the 70s. I'm just saying. Why would it be pre-timestamp? Hmm. Because it just made more sense for them to put the timestamp later when you were going to immediately get another timestamp directly after. Alternate timeline. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> Ridiculous. Hell yeah. So Frank and his team show up and are the second to arrive. So they are in charge of rescue. There's a lot of firefighter talk, but ultimately the tanker is leaking a lot of gasoline everywhere. And if there is any kind of spark or ignition of any sort, it's just going to blow. So there are some guys, the guys that were coming out of the sewers earlier who are trapped below who need rescue. So Frank jumps right down in, in the su- another manhole like 100 yards down the road, and he's going to hike over and, and save these guys. I watched this whole sequence through three times. Really? And I still have no idea how this is connected to the overturned truck or anything with the rest of this plot. Like, what is this whole first eight minutes of the movie? It doesn't make any sense to me. I don't get it. What are you? T- what is what he doing t- underground? He had to rescue the people that were stuck down there. What? There was guys doing construction on the manhole. They were going to come out, and then the truck slid over them, and one of them broke their leg, falling back down into the sewer. And now the overturned tanker is leaking gasoline down into that sewer and is going to explode Why? if it lights on fire. How is it going to light on fire? There's like water. There's sewer anything. water in there. Electricity? Sewer water anything. flammable? That wasn't sewer water. That was gasoline. Why do they have gasoline down there? It was there? falling because it's leaking from the tanker. Why? What is wrong? What are you talking about? <laughs> but gasoline itself doesn't just start on fire. What's going to make it yes, start? It does. If, if there's any kind of ignition, any kind of electricity or or anything like that that's going to ignite it, it's really easy to light But gas. they're in a sewer. Jesus Christ. You Like all <laughs> needs to happen is a car on top that like drives by and just a little bit. There's no car. The truck's over it. If any of that gasoline gets lit anywhere. It's traveling down into that sewer. I just don't understand it. Go on. Well, it's clear that you don't understand it, but I don't understand how you don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, I love that the big takeaway here is he's like, I don't understand why people are they're trapped in the sewer. The water will keep them safe. Nothing will catch fire down there. Yeah. <laughs> they're wet. They'll be okay. Seriously, though. No. <laughs> yeah. But that's true. No, it's not true at all. Haven't you ever seen the movie Backdraft? No. You've never seen the movie Backdraft? Did you see the explosion that happens? Yeah. They definitely would have been fine if they were just standing in, in knee-deep water. Okay. That would regardless have saved them of, for sure. Regardless of all of that, though, what the hell does this have to do with the rest of the movie? Unless it's an alternate timeline. It sets up the fact that his dad is a hero. It's character development. Duh. Okay. Okay. I guess. I, I guess so. Would it made it more 
impressive for you if you just like walked in from outside into the kitchen and that's where the movie started? Oh. Like with none of this intro at all? Not more impressive. I just would have understood it more. But anyway, go on. We're, apparently, I don't understand. Oh, he said apparently. Apparently, I don't understand. <laughs> I feel like it's very apparent. It is quite obvious. On multiple occasions, have said, I don't understand. I, I don't get it. Yeah. That's pr- pretty obvious. <laughs> Proceed. Thanks for the recap, yeah. though. <laughs> it is very tense, however. He's got to save these guys before everything goes to hell. He uses a Halligan bar to pry open a door in the sewers to get these guys out. They're rushing them down the hallway to try and get them out before anything lights on fire. Definitely see some some down wires and stuff that are going to light the gasoline on fire if they, if they get really anywhere near it. And uh, they just get out of the sewer in time for a fireball to come bursting out of the sewer right behind Dennis Quaid as he jumps out of the way. I hated this. It's wonderful. No, the the wires look. Uh, listen, I, I know it's early. It's only the year two thousand, but those electric wires look like something out of Brave Little Toaster. This is an action sci-fi thriller. What is with that garbage CGI on the wires? They were old wires. You said it already. It was you're talking about nineteen ninety nine CGI. Uh, <laughs> that's very true. Uh, can't do it. <laughs> Anyway, well, Dennis Quaid, obviously a hero. But after this, we get a nice montage of him riding his motorcycle on his way home in New York. He gets home, says hello to his son and a little kid named Gordo, which is just the best the best name for this little child. And he keeps on calling his son Chief. We don't know his name at this point, but we find out later his name is Johnny. This is when we get the title card. It is October 10th, 1969. And his wife is inside cooking and listening to some music. David. Michael. His wife is Elizabeth Mitchell. She's in everything I ever watch, but she'll always be Juliet from Lost to me. God damn. Three Lost references already. This is my sweet spot, David. I'm loving this movie. You're the worst. 10 out of 10. Apparently, his wife is very bad at cooking and works at a hospital, we find out. They decide to dance to some Elvis in the kitchen, and while they're doing so, the two boys that were outside look in the back door and just kind of smile and laugh at it, and I don't know why. What a bunch of little creeps. Yep. Who watches their mom and neighbor? Like, give them 10 years, and they'll be smacking around their kid dicks to the sounds of mommy and daddy's headboard smacking against the wall. Despicable. I hate it. It's weird and creepy. And you're coming out the gate rowdy today. Yeah, he's real aggressive on this turn of the century film. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe it. (laughs) I've had 21 years to stew about this movie. Yeah, but you just watched it a week ago. It's fine. (laughs) Sometime later, it's nighttime and we can see the northern lights over New York. It's apparently the first time this happened in 80 years that we could hear on the radio. Some of the radio frequencies we heard earlier. And Frank is out front teaching his son to ride a bike in the dark. I don't understand why nobody is more impressed by this. Like nobody's looking at the sky and freaking out. If I walked out and saw the sky like that, I would insta shit my pants. What is that? It's the northern lights. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, it's the sky. It's, it's normal. That's not normal. It's not normal. I mean, it's not northern normal, but it's just northern lights. Okay. I'd be I'd be aghast. <laughs> not surprised. You don't even understand how gasoline works. So the mom is comes running outside because while they were learning to ride the bike, you know, they did the whole dad was pushing him and hanging on and then he let go to let him let him do his thing. And Johnny just fucking immediately crashed his bike. Just immediately. He's very bad at it. And it's like the mom was standing there waiting for him to crash because the second he hits the ground, she sprints outside to come and help him. And then she brings him inside sad because he did a bad job. And the mom makes some ridiculous remark about how he just needs to know you're behind him. 
And then Frank kind of looks up at the window where you could see Johnny and, and mom up there and they're waving and having a good time. And then he grabs a cigarette, looks up at the northern lights. If this was Michael, this is where it would be cleaning up his shit pants. And it kind of zooms in. We start to hear those radio noises again. And then we kind of pull away from the earth. We are now just outside of the earth and we kind of see the sun. They do this kind of cool little camera trick where it like looks like the earth is reflected, like there are two earths kind of reflecting against each other to kind of symbolize that there are two kind of timelines happening at once. And then we zoom back down into the earth. But now we get a timestamp of October 10th, 1999, 30 years in the future. At this point, we see that there is a, a lady packing up a car and getting ready to leave. We learn that this is Johnny and his, I don't know, wife, girlfriend, something. They are splitting up at this point because he won't change. I don't know what that means, but he's still living in the same house. We see a few pictures of him and this woman with what looks like his an older version of his mom, mm-hmm. but she leaves, and this is when we find out that he is a cop. He scatters shit all over his house, which I, I don't know wh- who in their right mind would like slowly empty out each individual pocket in a different place in their house. That would <laughs> drive me up a wall. But yeah, he kind of scatters everything around, his badge, his watch, his keys, a tie, all kinds of different stuff. And it starts hitting the bottle. You know, he's had, had a rough day, apparently. So he is getting drunk, Hell heads yeah. to the ball field and just sits in the stands drinking, looking up at the northern lights. We hear some more r- distant radio sounds of what sounds like a baseball game or something like that. He heads back into the house and grown up Gordo is here with his son, little baby Michael Sarah. Hell yeah. Chubby face Michael Sarah. <laughs> oh, so good. Yeah, he looks so weird. I wouldn't like if I saw him for the first time in this movie, I'd be like, this this kid is going nowhere. I would say pre-puberty Michael Sarah, but I don't think he's done puberty yet. No. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> he's playing a major league baseball game on PS1. The year doesn't matter because they're all the same. But I, I used to play that game and I would create myself in those games. But I would make myself as fat as you could possibly make the character because I thought that it would make me hit more home runs. (laughs) The fatter I am, the more powerful I'm going to be. It didn't work. We're learning a lot about the way your brain works today. Very interesting. (laughs) It did not work. Yeah, I like I would I could hit for power, but I could never make it to first base. (laughs) I I wonder why. Makes sense. I mean, at least you made it as true to life as you could. (laughs) So he has a conversation with Gordo at this point. Apparently him and baby Michael Sarah are going to go fishing. So he asks if he can borrow his old fishing gear, which is in the closet under the stairs. So he sends Gordy, which is my baby Michael Sarah, over to to get the stuff out from underneath there. In the meantime, they have a quick conversation. Gordo remarks about how he missed the boat on Yahoo in the markets. It's up five points. We cut then to Gordy, who has found an old FDNY trunk underneath the stairs in, in that closet and asks if he can open it. And Johnny says yes. And as he's opening it, the 15 minutes cuts off. Oh, oh shit. I feel like we're always cutting right before cool shit. It's like movies wait until the 16th minute to un least the dragon and i didn't think that it was going to make a cisco reference r&b star cisco in this episode but here we are <laughs> unleash the dragon <laughs> all right i have a guess as to what's in the box i think clearly it's going to be the radio i agree i would second that it's got to be the radio well if nothing else then let's dive into the last 15 minutes so we can figure this thing out now the last 15 minutes begins at one hour 38 minutes and 47 seconds 
And we start off with a split second shot of a black and white baseball game. Mm -hmm. And a black man smiles at the camera. But Johnny's mom is looking real distraught, real distraught. Mm. And we cut to Quaid walking through a building soaked because sprinklers are going off. Quaid is now in some random apartment, number 4A, and snooping around in some closet. Kate's lawyer from Lost, Jack Shepard, shows up with long feathered hair. And (laughs) I assume that this is his apartment. And he has a gun and seems to know something's up when he comes in. Now, him and Quaid play that goofy, like, Scooby-Doo game where as soon as one of them exits the area, the other one enters and vice versa. And Shepard pretends to leave by playing with the locks on his door. And Quaid goes back to the closet and pulls down a cigar box full of newspaper clippings and jewelry. So this guy is apparently the Nightingale killer, murdering nurses like we had heard in the psycho trucker at the beginning of the film. Think he's also raping them? I bet he is. Mm. It's probably probably raping him, but we don't know. It looks we like don't. you that well, okay, we'll talk about that later. Okay, yeah, I, I know what you're saying. You're saying because of his hair he looks like a rapist, yes. Agreed. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> because he was in Lost, he must be a rapist. Ah, okay, so. yeah. Now I I don't really understand the spatial logistics of this next scene, but basically Shepard gets to Quaid and he starts blasting with his gun. He hits the cigar box and Quaid jumps through a glass window onto a fire escape movies make you think there are so many more fire escapes than there actually are. I've seen maybe two real fire escapes in my entire life, and they're in like 85% of action movies and 10% of How many times have you been in New York City? That is very true. What does this have to do with New York City? There's tons of them. There's tons of fire escapes (laughs) up there. It has everything to do with New York City. It's a thing that's in cities. Yeah. Well, you can't just be driving through the rural Massachusetts and be like, I don't see any fire escapes anywhere. That's very true. I don't. I'm just saying that. I live in an area where there are no fire escapes, but I used to live in an area with plenty. I was in the city. All right. Well, apparently I need to get around then. As Quaid hops down to ground level, Nightingale killer keeps shooting and, of course, wildly missing. He's not a gun killer, though. He's probably a rapey choke killer. And that's like having a male porn star join your golf team because he puts balls in a few holes before. Like, it's a whole other ball of yarn. You can't, like, just because you're a killer doesn't mean you're going to shoot him. That's why he took, like, 12 shots and never even got close. Never even close. So he keeps blasting. Quaid hops on a car and jumps a fence. Thank God he's wearing Converse. And the chase is now on, and the Nightingale killer keeps shooting, even though they're on a busy street for a moment. Now, while the chase continues, two, I assume, cops, one who was the black man we opened on, case the apartment, find the treasure trove of dead nurse paraphernalia, and notice that the window is fucked. The chase has now led our two pivotal men to a dock area of some sort, and there are like 300 wooden pallets. Thank God they're near the water, because that must be a fire hazard. I hope there's a fire escape. Bad shot killer guy is looking around for Quaid, who somehow managed to get under the busted up dock, and he pokes his arm up through the rotted wood like a zombie arm rising from the grave in the Thriller music video. He pulls the bad man down through the dock, which all of a sudden starts to collapse into shambles. They start to tussle underwater for the gun until Quaid locates a freaking railroad spike poking out of the wood. And as they come up for air, like synchronized swimmers, (laughs) he starts beating him with it until the gun falls in. Now, I'm far from a firearms expert, but wasn't the fact that it was already waterlogged, didn't that make it inoperable? Like, isn't a real gun the opposite of a super soaker? (laughs) I think it's also a revolver, too, isn't it? Yeah. 
It is a revolver. I don't know what that means. I feel like once that's wet, you're just fucked. That's, it's not going to work. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it really comes down to whether or not the pin can ignite the uh, spark on the back of the bullet in order to ignite the, the gunpowder. And underwater, that's a lot harder to do. Speaking of water guns, though, can you believe that we used to watch Super Soaker commercials as kids? Like, there was a point in our pathetic lives where we saw an ad for a 12-year-old homoerotically blowing his clear load all over his dorky blonde friend's face with a squirt gun. And we were like, oh, my God, Mom, I need it. Yeah, pretty much. Aside from putting another man's penis in your mouth, is there anything gayer than pumping a super soaker and squirting it? Pretty gay. No, it's very, it's very straight. Because we, we used to have, I don't know about you guys, but we would have boy and girl squirt gun fights. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Like there's girl squirt guns? No, but we would have girls with squirt guns fighting with us. It was ah, just a co-ed yeah, experience. Was, gotcha, gotcha. It was fun. Well, they're just practicing for their life of prostitution. Yeah, I can see that. He's like, did you know squirt guns are gay? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing gayer than squirt guns. I'm like, I don't, I don't know about that. I played with plenty of them. I never felt an urge to sleep with a man. <laughs> That's the gay agenda. That's the gay agenda. Squirt guns. Super soaker. They're like, yeah, watch this. It's just a bunch of dudes at home office like, you think we could get them to fuck each other? And they're like, whoa, David. That's too far. But I like where your head's at. They're like, yeah, we should just try and see if we get these kids all to bang each other with squirt guns. <laughs> So I'm saying Alex That's Jones is saying. like squirt guns. They're making the kids gay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yep. <laughs> Nailed it. So anyway, Quaid climbs out of the water just as the two cops show up and we cut to Johnny's mom who is asleep in a chair at Johnny's bedside and Quaid walks in and they hug. Now, back in the 90s, the sky is still wilder than a double rainbow all the way. And then back again to quaid who starts fiddling with his ham radio why is it called a ham radio anyway do, do you guys know uh I, like is that some sort of it's got to be an acronym right like highly highly ancient mechanical radio ham radio <laughs> <laughs> nailed it <laughs> so quaid crushes his pack of cigarettes i'm sure that will come up again and also, we just I just realized that we went just like the past 10 minutes without any dialogue. That's got to be a record of some sort for a 2000s movie. Yeah, it's quite a quite a That's bit. It's pretty wild. Like literally the first 10 minutes of our 15 minute chunk, there was nothing. No talking. Yeah. Anyway, so Quaid's ham fiddling, which <laughs> ham fiddling sounds dirtier than I intended. Yeah, ham, to. ham fiddling sounds awful. Yeah, sounds gay, gayer than squirt gayer gun. Gayer than a squirt gun. <laughs> <laughs> Ham fiddling is what you call it when two heavy set sweaty people like touch the insides of each other's body. Hell yeah. I just made sex very unsexy. You want to go back mm -hmm. to my place and ham fiddle? Why are you guys letting me keep talking? Yeah. <laughs> want to fiddle this ham? So what I was trying to say is that Quaid messing with the radio in the 60s magically fixes the radio in the 90s. Bad special effects and all. And we see Johnny heading into his house the sky still tripping balls. Now, Quaid and Johnny talk to each other on the radio across 30 years. And Quaid stopping the killer guy had something to do with the mom, we learn, who's not in this new 90s timeline. Like, she's not in the pictures, even though she was before. And we see the bad guy man 
he's in the 90s now, minus the feathered hair, and he sucker punches Johnny out of his chair. Now, while the two of them struggle on the ground for short-haired, bad-shot guy's gun, feathered hair version of Shepard now knocks Quaid out of the chair. He cuffs him to basically, like, the little piece of wood on the edge of a door with glass panes. I'm describing that horrifically, but the point is, like, anybody who's not an emaciated pussy could easily break the piece of wood that he's chained to one of these days i'm gonna put you to the test on some of the bullshit things you say i'm gonna handcuff you to are you kidding me to no that was a door that's such a dumb that is move. four inches thick of solid wood door. <laughs> like, what do you mean i don't understand why in the world you think you would be able to pull that off a it's not four inches well no so he handcuffed him on the second rung of the door so he could have broke that one inch little piece yes but then the cuffs would have stopped at the four-inch frame that goes around a glass door, and that would have been solid wood, and there's no way you would get out of that. I will submit as evidence the fact that he does get out. That's true. He gets to the tools. He's like reaching for his tools. I think he manages to get tools and then is able to to use the tools to get out. I don't think he just breaks it. Oh, I think he breaks it. Anyway, I think it was a dumb move by the only good at choking nurses, man. Now, because the radios are on, father and son can hear each other struggle across the timelines, like two men shitting in adjacent public stalls, and feathered hair man climbs into bed with Julia. Now, David, you know me. I'm all for eating pussy, but not like this. Yeah, no, not like this. Not like this. Mm-mm. That That's a catchphrase, Nick. I'm sorry. <laughs> Sorry you stumbled into that. That's Michael's catchphrase. Ah. I don't know why, but it is. Now, young Johnny comes into the bedroom, and a distracted shepherd gets his face scratched by Julia, which instantly puts scratch scars on 90s shepherd face. Yeah. There would have to be some deep scratches to leave scars 30 years later, but okay, I'll I'll accept it. The dude probably lives under a bridge, and it got infected, so I can... I can let it slide. Now, he grabs young Johnny. He brings him downstairs where he's confronted by a shotgun-wielding Quaid. In the 90s, short-haired Shepard got the upper hand on Johnny, and he has the gun to his head. We hear him say, time to die, soldier, over the radio in the 60s. And then Julia does a flying karate kick down the stairs like Leonardo in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle arcade game. And it's awesome. It is awesome. Mm -hmm. So Johnny runs free and Quaid blows off Shepard's hand with the shotgun and he runs off. Now, because he blew off his hand in the 90s, his hand starts to shrivel up halfway through. It looks like Chris Elliott's mangled hand from Scary Movie 2, which came out a few years later. Just saying until his hand is completely gone. Like he just has a stump. Now, during this, the whole house behind him starts to change because conceivably now that Julia survives, the decorating would change with a woman's touch. Am I reading that right? I think it's just like this single cop now has some additional people in his life. Yeah. So One of which is a woman. Yeah. Anyway, so a stumped shepherd, both figuratively and literally. Get it? He, like, he has a stump now. <laughs> he's about to still shoot Johnny. And bam, he's blown away with a shotgun blast to the chest. The camera pans, and it's an old Quaid who now exists Such in the a 90s. good scene. 150-year-old Dennis Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> I took offense with the amount that they aged him. They did, yeah. They. I thought it looked appropriate. They made him look like old. Are you kidding me? 
if you look at it, he kind of has like an old Steve Rogers look from Endgame, like very similar, like yeah, aggressively white hair and wrinkled, just like super old. Which it bothers me because like when this movie came out, it was like they would have been filming like what twenty two, twenty three years ago. So like we've almost elapsed thirty years, and if you look at a picture of Dennis Quaid, he looks just as good as he did when this movie came out, if not a little better. So it's like insane to me that they made him look like even if he was thirty five, you would have been sixty five. Yeah. In the 30 years. And they made him look like he was at least 80. Well, if they not had older, they had to make it clear that it was not the 60s Quaid. Like we had to. Yeah, I get it. But it's like all you, all you got to do is just like put a few wrinkles in and, and change the color of the hair a little bit. And maybe the clothes could really sell, too, if you did, depending on the clothes. Like, what was he going to wear? Like, FUBU? Like, really 90s clothes? Well, I'm just mean? not I clothes from the 60s. Medidas tearaway pants? <laughs> you see Dennis Quaid rocking a, a full-on, like, FUBU jumpsuit, dude? Hell yeah. Nothing says turn of the century yeah. like an old white guy wearing FUBU. Sup, fool? You about to get blasted <laughs> on? And he just shoots Shepard right in the chest. And he's like... Not my house, bitch. Yep. And then Shepard's just dead. And then they're like, all right, John, we got to go bury the body. Yep. Movie <laughs> yeah. over. That sounds like a better movie. I'm not going to I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> so Quaid says, I'm still here, chief, which was also etched into the desk by his radio in the 60s. Interesting little tidbit. The sky, its high has now faded and the moon turns into a baseball. As we see the most far-fetched part of this movie, the whole adult family is playing baseball in a park while a bunch of people watch. What in the seven fucks is this setup? What scenario would there be this family of people being watched by like hundreds of people in a baseball park? Hmm. Just like a like a community softball. I mean, think about tournament. it. They had all, they were all cops and firemen and shit. Would you yeah. go watch a bunch of adult cops go play baseball? Yeah, so that was a softball. It wasn't a baseball. So they were probably playing slow pitch softball. And you did. You did do that. I have watched it and uh, played. As I say, yeah, it doesn't sound uh. like so far-fetched that i'm like god this is not real okay apparently i need a reality check on a lot of things <laughs> <laughs> now it's implied that gordo ended up investing in yahoo in this new ideal reality which is cool and we get a slow-mo montage of the childhood that johnny had in this new reality with quaid being alive which he didn't actually get to experience so what the hell's the point it's heavy on quaid teaching him baseball squirting him with a hose while drinking a beer, going on a camping trip with a goddamn Dalmatian, and it culminates with him riding a motorcycle off into the sunset. And that is the end of the movie. To keep us from getting into too deep of a time paradox conversation, regardless of if he actually experienced them, if they happened in the past, wouldn't future Johnny have those memories yeah, he still has so there's i think that's the whole idea of this montage is like he's remembering those now yeah because he he then has both memories like he remembers without them but he also remembers like now having the new memories i don't buy it we'll talk about it in the questions but i don't buy it <laughs> there's another there's another movie where like the exact same shit happens and uh me remembering like not having that person there and then also being like but now i remember you being there i don't think the brain works that way I just I don't think that you can change someone's memories like that. We'll we'll talk about it later. But anyway, I think before we get into the questions here, it's time for a center commercial. Center commercials. Brush is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. And I think about brushing my teeth like a lot. 
I do not want to be that middle-aged guy who loses a tooth eating a steak and cheese. That happened to an old manager I used to have. And the little respect I had had for him went to zero, real fast. With powerful sonic technology and ultra-gentle bristles, the brush redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave the dentist. A fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with the code POD15. Like the early 2000s Christian new metal band, followed by the number of minutes we watch on either end of a movie. Follow link in the show notes and enter the code POD15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. Bruce. Bruce. All right, Nick, it is time for you to shine, my friend. All right. You crafted some questions for us here to quiz us about the middle. And as usual, when we have guests, I am going to beat David. Ooh. All right, Nick, what do you got? We'll start with this one. So uh, how does John's mom die? I think that this bad guy that we experienced killed her. However, I don't think that he killed her in the normal original timeline. I think that by... Johnny communicating with Frank in the past, it altered the timeline, and then she disappeared from kind of existence, and then this bad guy, Jack, got to her, but then when Johnny was able to figure out in the future that that had happened, that that was part of the new past, they altered it kind of again to get rid of Jack so that both parents could survive. I'm with you. I, I think that it is at the hands of Jack, the Nightingale killer. Now, I think in the initial timeline, she was alive because we see her in pictures. Mm -hmm. I, so like you said, I, I think changing the past to keep Frank alive also keeps Jack alive, who then can go kill John's mom. I think in the original timeline, the fire killed Frank and Jack. So in the end, in this new timeline or the second timeline, I think that she is strangled by the Nightingale killer. And then that's averted in the final timeline. All right. Hell yeah. We both got it? Yeah, actually. So, yeah. So that's like pretty much exactly what happens. So in the original timeline, if Frank had died, John's mom wouldn't have gone to the hospital that night. She wouldn't have gone to work. She goes to work and then sees a man laying on, a, on one of the hospital beds. And they're getting ready to give him some sort of medicine. And then she's like, hey, you can't do that. If you mix that with what he just had, it'll kill him. She saves this guy's life and then everything changes in the future and then she's not there anymore. And then you find out that she saved the Nightingale killer and then he comes back later on to kill her. So, yeah. So you guys got it. Perfect. One to one, David. When Frank died, was it in like that original fire that we saw in the first six minutes or whatever? Yes, or is so this a, whole, a completely different the fire? The Buxton fire is, is that's the actual fire because it happened at the, the building. The original timeline, he died in that fire. Okay. Okay, but that's a different fire from the one that we saw in the first 15 minutes of the, the gasoline explosion thing. I believe so, yeah. Because there's a it's an, like a, a building, like an abandoned building that catches on fire. Uh, okay, we'll talk about it. All right. Do you guys think that John's dad, do you think Frank ever paid taxes after they saved his life for all the years that he would have not had to pay anything because he was dead? <laughs> This is a, a moral-based question. Mm. Oh. Okay. So I was going to say, like, you were asking this. Uh, just by the fact that you asked this means that he did not. 
Uh, hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, it's not mentioned in the movie, but I was just like, I want to see what your take is on this. If you don't pay back taxes, does that, like, and then you die, does it pass on to your heir? Is John now burdened with all of the back taxes? Ooh, that's a good question. I did some minor research on this because in the past, I had wanted to write a screenplay about somebody who fakes their own death to avoid paying their student loans. <laughs> But I forgot what I had found out in my research. Oh, that's helpful. So I could have answered my own question, but I don't think he ever paid his back taxes. He's a bum. He's a bum. <laughs> so he wouldn't have had back taxes. Why? Oh, here it goes. Because we didn't revive him 30 years from when he died. He's now never died. So if he was working that whole time, he would have been paying taxes that whole time. Touché. He would have had back taxes in 1999. He might not have been withholding enough. Okay, but, but he didn't. He doesn't have back taxes purely because of the fact that his life was saved by his son talking to him from the future. Yeah, but that's what we're saying. That could. What if he was getting the bills in the mail and he was just like, fuck this, and he just threw them in the trash? Right? There's like a point where he's like, I would have been dead from today out. He's like, I don't know. You got shit. I'm not paying yeah. anything. <laughs> I'm technically a dead man. Yeah, I don't think he ever would have had back taxes. He would have paid them from the start. All right, I, I like that. That's a good answer. I respect that. You're like, well, he was he was a firefighter. He had he had morals. He would have kept paying. Yeah. Damn it. So is that a point for Dave? Yeah, I'd say, well, I'll give Dave that one. Damn it. All right, one to two. One to two. All right, so how many packs of cigarettes do you think John's dad smoked? I think that he smoked three packs a day. Until Johnny told him that in the new timeline, he dies of lung cancer. So that's why, like, he's not in the current timeline that Johnny was in at the end until he told him that. And that's why in the very end there, he crushes his cigarettes and no longer smokes. And it helps him in the future, obviously, stay alive. It's three. So, okay. So Dennis Quaid. He does kind of look like Joe Camel with a smaller snout. So I bet he's a camel guy. Now, are we talk like are you asking a day, a month, a year, like ever in in its history? Like if it's a day, I think it's a pack a day because I feel like anybody who smokes that's the stock answer, like it's a pack a day. So if you just extrapolate that, okay, that's 30 packs a month, that's 360 packs a year. Now, he's about 35 when he dies in the original timeline, and I'd say he probably started at about 17. So we're talking 18 years. If you multiply that out, that ends up being 6,480. God damn. But I'm going to round down to 6,400 since he didn't smoke as much when he was younger. So 6,400. And if we take the packs as being 20 cigs per, he's up to 128,000 cigarettes, which equals him being a huge loser. Why do we care about this guy who smoked 128,000 camels? Trash. <laughs> Damn, that was that was a lot. Because he he died in a fire like a hero. That's why we care, Mike. We care because he gave his life, and then his life was given back to him. Yeah, and then he just smoked it all away. That's why we care. <laughs> that is also like the biggest like fuck you to the universe. You're like, I was supposed to die in a fire. My son saved my life, and then afterwards, you're like, I'm gonna just smoke tons of cigarettes until it kills me. <laughs> Does he actually die of lung cancer? Yeah. Damn it called that so like i gotta i'll give you each a point because dave without having seen the middle of the movie gave a statement that made it sound like he had 100 seen the middle of the movie you did the math mike so i'm i'm kind of torn on that because that, that that was a lot of numbers involved on that one <laughs> all right I'll do take we know it. how many packs he actually smoked the, do they say i tried to figure out the exact amount but i i don't think they say specifically i'll take a point two two to three two to three keep me in this game all right. How do you think they found out who the killer was? So I logic this one out. 
And I bet that John goes to the library looking through old microfiche, which is French for my flaccid penis. <clears throat> and he finds out that the death of a nurse that's about to happen in Frank's timeline in the 60s so that Frank can go scope out that scenario before it actually happens and catch the killer in the act. I just hope that he actually stops that kill instead of just like watching it from a hiding spot. Like, fuck whoever that lady is. She's not part of the family we know and love. She is a sacrifice the Sullivans demand to keep their happy family together in the future. Poor Sally. But I think that Johnny finds out from the library who did it, and then Frank goes and checks out that kill live, baby. Mm, okay. So I think that when the first timeline changes, when Frank is saved and the mother dies that's enough information for johnny to use his police detective ability to look into some old history and some old files and stuff to figure out what happened there and he spent a lot of time researching and figuring out who killed his mother which is probably why he became a cop in the first place and then we kind of see that he is able to provide that information to his dad okay they're detectiving the shit out of the case in both timelines. John has Frank in the 60s timeline go through and he starts telling him like the dates that all the murders happened. And he's like, well, one's getting ready to happen. Like, I think it's like tomorrow night or some shit. And he's like, this is where it happens, when it happens. This is who it's going to be. You got to get there and you got to stop it. And as they're doing that, they start to like kind of figure out like certain things about who the, the victims were. And then uh, at a certain point, they go to the first victim and find out who the first victim was. And then come to find out it was like the guy's mom was a nurse and shit. And then they kind of do the math on it from there. So then mm. Frank meets up with him somewhere and he starts following the guy. And then the guy figures out that he's being followed and beats the shit out of him. John actually at a certain point goes and confronts Shepard and tells him like, hey, man, I know it's you. And that's kind of like they put two and two together. And then that dude's like, oh, fuck, I've been found out. I think that's a point for me. All right. I like the way that sounds. We'll even things up. <laughs> All right. Three to three. Leading the witness. Fine. <laughs> like he was like, I think that's a point for me. And I'm like, yeah, sure. Uh -huh. I think you're good. It is, though. I, I like the tension of knowing that it's tied down the middle right now. It's three to three. All right. So uh, how did Frank get arrested? So I think that in that explanation, kind of what we just came across, if Frank was trying to stop the murder of the next victim, he found himself in the wrong place at the wrong time and police were also investigating and they somehow accidentally thought that it was him that was the murderer and not the other guy. And he got arrested because they thought that he was involved in some way. I think the cop that we see smiling at the beginning of the last 15 minutes is the one who arrests Frank and also ends up being John's or Johnny's police captain 30 years later, which is ironic. But I think that Frank gets arrested for tax evasion. <laughs> <laughs> That's your final answer. Final answer. Lock it in. All right. Well, uh, we'll go to the audience on this one. I got to give it to Dave. Damn it. Because that's, uh, yeah, that's what happens, actually. That is exactly what happens. Wrong place, wrong time, <laughs> not tax evasion. And then, uh, yeah, you're going down. You're going down, pal. That's what you get. All right. Now evade taxes in jail. Damn it. All right. Yep. Three to four. There we go. 
All right. So how many murders did the Nightingale, the Nightingale killer, how many murders did he commit? <sighs> so the cigar box that we see is loaded. Now I'm, I'm usually pretty good at guessing those jars of jelly beans, like how many beans are in this jar. So if I trust that the movie was accurate with their props, I think you can fit an average of five newspaper clippings and jewelry sets per layer. Mm. And there's about three and a half layers in that box. So I'm going to go with 17, 17 jelly bean. Sorry, 17 nurses. He killed 17 nurses, 17 nurses in the jar. All right. I'm also pretty good at that guessing game, and I kind of use the same logic, And but I came to 15 because I think oh. there was only three layers, not oh. three and a half. Okay. All right. You guys are both wrong. Neither of you get a point. Point for me. <laughs> Screw you guys. I win. That's five <laughs> points. My favor. I pulled the lead out. So, all right. So, original timeline, it's three murders. What? They would Because he would have died. He would have died in the hospital. So, if yep. Frank would have just died in the fire... He would have initially, it would have stopped at three. So there would have only been the three murders. But hmm. this is a, a two-part. When they changed the timeline, him he never got stopped. He never died, so he just kept killing. So it ended up being 10 actual murders total. Mm, 10, that's low. Not 15. I mean, I was, it's a lot. I, mean, I was close. I don't trust the props then. The props guy fucked up because that, that box was loaded. Yeah, there were more than 10 in there. It's what we get for using logic, Dave. Yep. I mean, I was closer. No, but, but you went over. That's fine. <laughs> Three to four. <laughs> so this one is not a question that really, th this is not like based on anything that the movie, watching the, the middle of the movie really would have told you one way or the other. This is just a question. You think that he would have been able to talk to anyone else on the radio? I think that it was the radio and the northern lights and the solar flare and whatever, all that, all that jazz all together that was giving the ability for the radio to communicate into the past. Like the radio waves were traveling into the past. And if I use that argument, then it doesn't, it wouldn't make sense that he couldn't communicate to someone else using that radio. Like if his mom was sitting there or if little him was sitting there or just someone else was sitting at that desk. Yeah, they should, they should be able to communicate like the radio is what is doing the communication. I feel like from what we saw, at least. Yeah. Logically speaking, you would think so. Like you would think that he could talk with other people since it's radio waves. And you hear all the time about like big burly men beating their meat to little kids playing cops and robbers on their walkie talkies. But I think the magic of this. Do movie, you hear that all the yeah, time? It's commonplace, oh, yeah. you know, so, and then they go out and drive a truck <laughs> yeah. and die in the first five minutes of the movie. You know, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think the magic of the movie is that they can only talk with each other. All right. I'll accept that. That's always like a question that I've been like, well, is it only the, the reason why they're able to talk to each other? Is it because it's the same radio under the same, you know what I mean? Like with the yeah. circumstances, it happened. But it's weird because they do say that that's the first time they've had like the Northern Light shit happen in however many years. And then it's like, oh, conveniently, it happens again, 30 years apart from one another, which is an interesting, right? I guess, a, a weird time thing in the movie where you're like, oh, so it happened 80 years ago. But then it also happened twice, 30 years apart. Mm. So those were all your questions, Nick. Now, friend of the show, Nan from the Unearthed Gems podcast, friends of ours. She is a big fan of this movie and also sent us some questions. So we wanted to pass those along and you have those for us, Nick. We're going to nail those, I feel like, too. Yeah. All right. Bonus round. All right. So first question, who did John go for drinks with on the anniversary? So I think it was the anniversary of his father's death initially, and it was Butch, the guy who talked to his mother about how he was 
what he was doing at the most recent fire, I felt like one of his fire buddies. So I'm going to say Butch. I thought that guy was a cop, but I agree with you that this is the anniversary of his dad's death. And I think it would be cool if it was his actual dad. But I think the reveal at the end of his dad blowing away Shepard with the shotgun is when we we realize he's that's the first time he's in the new timeline. So I don't think it's him. I think that he goes with Julia, the mom. They knocked back some fireball shots in memory of Frank dying via fireball. So it's his mom drinking fireball. Both of you guys were wrong. Damn it. So he goes to drink with Gordo and Satch. So that is a point for neither of you guys. All right. Three to four. I like it. How did Frank get out of the Buxton fire? Okay. What in the hell is a Buxton? Is that some sort of chemical? Is it a place? I'm confused. I just think it's a place. I don't care what you all say. I still think my theory at the beginning, first thing we see is an alternate timeline where he survived. Somewhere in the middle, we see the original timeline. I think that he gets out of the fire by hopping out of that tunnel before the fire flies out. And Buxton was the name of the molesty truck driver. Thank God that fire took him out or poor yo-yo kid would be walking the dog. All right. The dog is that man's penis. Jesus Christ. I think that by looking at some of the details, uh, the schematics of the building, Johnny was able to determine what route his father could have taken to get out of the fire in time so that when he was he communicated that back through the radio and gave him the ability to escape the fire. All right. Dave gets a point on that one. Damn it. So what happens is he normally in the original timeline, he would have gone. I think it's 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 either obviously it's either left or right trying to remember which direction. But John tells him to go the other way. So he keeps thinking about it because he's still not convinced that that's his actual son from the future. So he tells him, you know, you should have gone the other way. You go the other way and you'd have lived, whatever. So he ends up I think he goes left instead of right. And then ends up going out. It's a, uh, it's this like spiral chute that goes out the side of the building. Yeah, he ends up making it out that way. Interesting. All right, Dave, crushing it. Three to five. It's not looking good. Did John ever learn how to ride a bike? No, not because he couldn't, but out of principle, since his father died shortly after he had that experience, he refused to let anybody else try and teach him. So he didn't learn because he didn't want to. I agree. And I think just by the question being asked to know, he was too scared to do it once his dad died because he was no longer, quote unquote, behind him. More importantly, I just I wish it was cool to ride a bike as an adult, but flat out, it's not like I flip off every person I see riding their bike on the street unless it's a side street. I don't care what your town bylaws say. City roads are made for cars, trucks and motor vehicles and bikes, not your sweaty tank creating 10 speed. Go ride it in an industrial park so you don't get run over or force me to swerve into oncoming traffic because you're too cool to do leg day at Planet Fitness. Fuck you. Go ride your bike in a parking lot. You're the worst. So I'm going to be honest. That's one that I like. I don't 100% know this question and the next question. I don't genuinely know the answer to. I would assume that he did but based on how you guys answer that question i'm like damn that is a really good response to that question and also i i genuinely don't appreciate or enjoy people that ride their bike on the main road because you know thank you they're the worst so if i had to be judge on this uh i would give you both a point all right four to six i like it all right so the next question is one that i i can't remember the name of the bar and i try i tried to look it up but uh What's the name of the bar that Sissy Clark worked at? 
Now, Sissy Clark sounds like a derogatory name for a homosexual man in the 90s. So I vote that it's a gay bar. And I think that it's a barcade way before they were cool. So I'm going to go with Dave and Butsters. <laughs> now, I almost went with Texas Chode House, but it just didn't have the same ring to it. So I went with Dave so and Butsters. <laughs> I was just betting that it was something firefighter related. So like the fire hose or the watering can or something like that. Mm, that also sounds like a gay bar. I, I tried to find. No I tried to find. Yeah, I, I tried to find the answer yeah, to it, but I no couldn't. As <laughs> a scratch on my part. Sorry, everybody. So next question, finish this sentence by John to Jack. You went down blank, pal. You just blank. You went downtown, pal. You just know Michael is all for eating pussy. <laughs> I, no. I, I almost went to the downtown road. I really did. But I have. A, I have... No, I think uh, it's something like you went down the wrong alley, pal. You just don't know when to quit. And he says this right before he beats him up in the alley when he's following him. Mm. I think it's you went down swinging, pal. You just struck out. It's a baseball reference. Why am I not a movie writer? Just lock it in. I'm feeling confident with that one. You guys are both wrong. The answer to that question is (laughs) you went down 30 years ago, pal. You just don't know it yet. Ah, damn it. And that so that's the scene where grown up John in the bar goes up to Jack in present day timeline and confronts him with pictures Ah. of all the Nightingale murders and throws down like the pictures of his mom and shit and everything. He tells him like, I know it was you. And he's like, basically like, I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. And he's like, do you, you went down 30 years ago, pal. You just don't know it yet. Interesting. Hmm. All right. Why and when did the radio break? The when is the sixties. And the irony is that little Johnny breaks it on his dad on purpose because he was jealous of his dad spending so much time using it instead of teaching him how to ride his bike. Stupid little Johnny. Johnny breaks it. All right. I think that the radio was smashed by Jules because Frank was starting to get obsessed with talking with his future son instead of spending time with his actual son in the present time. So we have the same reason, just different answers. Yeah. So you're both wrong. So you guys (laughs) suck at this. So actual answer is when Frank was getting arrested, he ran back inside to talk to John on the radio to let him know what was going on and what was happening. And in the process, he got grabbed and he knocked the radio over and the radio broke. Lame. And then it breaks in current timeline. And then John is just sitting there looking at it until his dad gets out of jail and then goes back to the house and fixes it. Which leads me to the last question. How did Frank escape the police station? So I think this was the scene that was like just after we we got back in and uh, there was the water raining down from the ceiling of the police station. And I think that he pulled the fire alarm or activated the fire alarm system in some way or another, you know, holding a match up to it or or pulling an alarm or something to get it to kind of cause commotion so he could get out of the place. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's right before we start. And I think he sets off the fire alarm, which causes the sprinklers to go off. And I think it's because Johnny has some knowledge about the inner workings of the station. Since he's a cop, he would know like what sort of alarm slash fail safes exist. So he helped plot how to get him to escape. But I think you're right, Dave. I'll give you guys both that one. There's a little bit more to it than just that. But uh, yeah, so what happens is he ends up setting off the sprinklers 
But in the process, so he rips the cord from, I believe it's like the AC unit or something like that. And he rips that out and he strips the cable and has like both the ends on it or whatever. And then he pours coffee on the ground. He waits for Jack to come back in because Jack is trying to like kill him in the cell. He steps in the puddle of coffee and then he throws the cables down and it electrocutes him. And then he passes out. After he passes out, he takes, I think he takes his lighter and some, I think some paper of some sort and then lights it on fire underneath the sprinkler and then sets off the sprinkler system and then just walks out and holds a a manila folder over his face and walks right on out. And that is how he gets out. Interesting. Wow. Way more involved. So I think we get zero points. So David, you beat me six to four. Mm. I'm not feeling good, but I let you win on your birthday. Uh Oh, fuck you. Well, I could tell on your face that you didn't. I'm not happy about it, but (laughs) good job. Thank you for the questions, Nick and Nan. We really appreciate all the questions there. Hell yeah. But Nick, we need to take the time here to thank you for being here. But before we send you out again, I know we talked about it up front. Where should people check you out if they had a good time listening to you talk and they like the bristle of your beard against the microphone? At Nick D's comedy, D-E-E-Z on everything. Yeah. So just check me out there. I have stuff. I post clips as often as i can any shows that i have i post on there give me a follow if you like yeah go check out his instagram he posts some clips of his performances and i spent one day just watching like all of them i went down the rabbit hole of nick d's comedy and that's what led me to i sent a message like dude i need to have you on the show you are hilarious so (laughs) hell yeah well thank you man (laughs) Go check out some of his videos. Absolutely. Anything else you want to add before you go, Nick? Like I said, check out my stuff. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. I don't put as much on there as I should. Follow me on Instagram. Yeah, do what you got to do and help me help me get close to that 10,000 so that I can see the little K next to my name. It'll make me feel special. We have a lot of Virginia downloads Hell yeah. for some weird reason. So if you are living in Virginia and listening to this, you should go check out some live comedy. Yeah, anyone in the Virginia area. I don't know when this will actually be out. 6ix9ine, baby. Ooh, all right. Not Takashi because that guy is a rat. But, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> anyone that's in, near, or around Richmond, Virginia, I'll be hosting at Sandman Comedy Club, which is a club that just opened up in downtown Richmond. I'll be there hosting for Shane Gillis June 17th through the 19th. So come hang out. Five shows. It'll be dope. It'll be a lot of fun. I'm real excited for it. Awesome. Nice. Well, really appreciate you taking the time, Nick. It was a pleasure. Of course. Thank you guys again. For real, I really appreciate it. It was a blast. Hell yeah. Well, thanks again, Nick, for being here. And the only way to properly wrap up this movie would be with center counts, David. Yes. Time to count the center. Center counts to you. Center counts to you. I'm waiting for the rest of the song. What is your score? (laughs) I give this a two. No, I don't give it a two. I just, it rhymes. I'm sorry. I give it a five, actually. I really liked this movie and the idea behind it. I think that it is a new kind of creative way of looking at time travel. So instead of like traveling through time, but just communicating through time, I think is really neat that not a lot of movies have done. So I really like the idea and I think they executed it well, at least on the on the ends that we saw. So I know it's a 90s movie and there's some 90s things that are going to just be 90s, early 2000s about it, right? You're going to get your bad CGI. There's going to be some overacting for certain people. That's just it comes with the territory. But I really like the idea and I think they executed it pretty well. So I'm giving it five out of seven. Dave, I'm on the same page. Five out of seven. 
and I'm basing this solely on the premise. Like, I feel like we missed so much important, cool time travel stuff in the middle. Mm. But just the idea itself is sweet. My big issue or my only issue with this is that it flies in the face of my true belief on time travel. I say it all the time, but as fun as it is to see things change, whatever happened, happened. It's just not feasible that these things change in the present because it changes other people's experiences too throughout the years. You mean to tell me that all these people, every single person, their brains are just now rewired with all the memories of things that hadn't happened? If Quaid is now alive, that means he went to the grocery store in 1997 and you know this bagger that bagged his groceries now remembers that. So all these single people that he touched throughout these years that he wouldn't have touched now have to have their brains rewired. I just don't think that's feasible. Not to mention, I mean, he was a firefighter, so him being alive, he probably would have saved a number of people's lives. Right. Like, as one thing in Outlander, it's like, okay, this chick just went back in time and no one cares. But for, for him, it's like, he's a firefighter, he's like saving people, and then his life gets cut short. Now, if he continues his full life and is constantly saving people, then you're taking like a number of people that would have otherwise died. And instead, if he is the one who saved them, now they are saved. So like, that would seriously upset the the whole timeline. Right, because then those people that are alive are then affecting thousands of other people's lives. It's yeah. just, that's the part of it that that is hard for me to comprehend and agree with. But... Aside from that, we get a young Michael Sarah. There's three lost references and time travel. Boner City, Population Me. I'm in for it. Mm -hmm. I've yep. already set a date with Ashley. I'm watching the middle of this thing. It's just for me. Take advantage of that boner, huh? Yep. Five out of seven. Lock it in. Now, David, this was a blast, but what do we have coming down the road? So we have something very exciting. Only our second time ever doing this. We are going to be doing season two of a show that we've already covered. We are going to be doing season two of Outlander coming out June 23rd. We got such great feedback and people really loved uh, listening to us and, and interacting and sending in questions and stuff. So we really enjoyed that and we really want to keep it going. So we are going to do season two of Outlander. Hopefully not nearly as much rape as the last one. Hopefully. Now, you mentioned that this is the second time. Technically, this is the first time we've ever we've never done two of the same show. We did season oh, that's two of true. Umbrella Academy, but we hadn't covered season one. Yes, we, we watched season one to prepare for season two, so that's why I was getting my, my wires crossed. You're right. This is technically the first time we were ever covering the same the same show for two seasons. Yes. Now, to prepare, we did both watch the first season, so we are going to be ready to go. Yeah, very excited. Before we dive into Outlander season two, David, what do we have on tap this coming week? Oh, yeah. Well, naturally, we have another center chat coming at you next week that is going to be frequency related. Would you rather be a firefighter or a police officer? Mm, like Quaid and Caviezel. Mm-hmm. Like Frank and Johnny. And just an early heads up, just so we you get as much time to prepare. Following Outlander Season 2, we're going to talk about it again, and we're going to post on social media. But because we've already covered Outlander, we're going to have a center chat. Instead of just you know diving into something Outlander-related again, we felt it was the time to break out questions about us so we're going to be asking for questions from you the listener about anything literally anything dave and i will answer it 
about us, about the podcast, about the answer to life. Like, we'll, we'll answer anything. Yeah, we just passed 50 episodes, and we want you to know more about us. So now's the time. Send in questions, email us, hit us up on social media when we post about it, or whenever you want for that matter, because we want to answer some really weird questions. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about it more during the next Center Chat, but get ready to ask us stuff. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Well, as always, if you have any feedback or you want to send us some early questions, send it to thecentercutcast at gmail.com. We're also on all of our social media platforms, but the big one is Instagram. So definitely hit up Insta at the Center Cut. But we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, all that fun stuff. Yes, please. We appreciate all of you. David, let's turn the radio dial and turn this sucker off. Oh, yeah. Like that moment between Frank escaping and the very real fireball. It's always better in the center. Mm-hmm.